owls are unique or, or fairly unique in that they are nocturnal. Um, now, not all owls are nocturnal, but most of them are. What sets owls apart from other raptors, so from hawks or from falcons, is that most owl species are foraging at night. So the most critical difference between daytime and nighttime is that there's often very low light levels at night. And what that means is that owls are more reliant on sound to find their prey <clears throat> than are diurnal predators. So if you think of a hawk or an eagle, I mean, eagles are famous for having great eyesight, but they've got these eyes that are really good for locating prey when there's lots of light around. And that's simply a, a sensory modality that, that owls at nighttime mostly can't take advantage of. Now, it is true that when there's a moon out, species that are foraging in the open might have enough moonlight to be able to clearly see a mouse and be able to just use sight uh, under some conditions at night. But, you know, all owls that are out at night have to contend with the times of the, of the uh, month when the moon is not out, you know. Um, and so what this increased reliance on sound means is that owls and how owls forage for, for food is a bit different than how hawks do it. In terms of strategies, some owls, what they do is they fly along, uh, usually low over some vegetation, listening as they fly. So they're flying along and they'll often fly back and forth. And so what'll happen is that as they're flying, they will suddenly hear something below them and they might wheel and drop uh, really quickly to, to, to drop onto whatever it is they just heard, hoping that it's a, a vole or something else that they can eat. The owl is already flying when it first hears something that it might be prey. And, and it's the owl is hoping that it hears something that's pretty close to it when it first detects it. The other more common strategy is the sit and wait strategy where the owl lands on something in the environment, you know, a fence post, for example, or a rock uh, or a tree branch and sits and just waits, scanning the environment around it, uh, trying to detect whether, whether there's a sound that might be some prey. And if it hears a sound that might be prey, can it tell well enough about where the sound is coming from uh, to actually launch an attack to try to go catch this prey? So for species that do that, when they first hear a prey sound, they themselves are not moving. They are holding still, but the prey might be quite a ways away from them. And so if they have to launch an attack, they have to take off from their perch and fly or glide towards the prey. Uh, and then either, uh, either they, they, they hear it as they're approaching the prey and they might adjust their course, or sometimes they'll even land on the ground near the thing they heard, trying to get a better idea of where it is exactly before attacking. Linnaean. Linnaean. Linnaean Society. The Linnaean Society of, of London. 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 Linnaean Society of London. My name is Chris Clark. I'm an associate professor at the University of California, Riverside. Uh, and the topic being owls and quiet flight and the morphology of their wings. For a long time, I've studied hummingbirds and hummingbird flight and how hummingbirds make extra sound with their wings. And so a number of years ago, when I got my faculty position, I also kind of expanded my interest in addition to being interested in how animals make extra sound with their wings when they fly, I got interested in the question of how do animals fly quietly? And so how owls, uh, owls have a number of features on their wings that seem to be related to how they fly quietly. And my interest has been for this is to just to describe what is this morphology and, and how are different owl species different from each other in the morphology that they have. So owls have this kind of this, this face, the, kind of the front of their head that looks different from most other birds. And the reason for that is they've got these feathers that kind of extend, extend straight out from around their eyes and around their, their uh, ears. Because owls have these feathers that expand out from around their, their, their face, they, their heads look much more human than, than a typical bird. 
the, the top la layer of feathers on the face are these soft, soft feathers, but underneath there are some stiff feathers. And what they're doing is they're actually directing the sound to the owl's ears. So there's this misconception, some ears or so, some owls rather have these little tufts of feathers at the top of their head. For example, the, the long eared owl, the, the, the long ears, little tufts that, that stick up are not actually its ears. The ears, if you look at an owl, They've got these enormous eyes. And if you look at the feathers right behind the eyes, that's where the ears are. And so what this disc is doing is that it's helping filter the sound that, that, that is coming to the owl. So just like you know, on, on human ears, this fleshy outer part is called the pinna. And if you take your hand and you move your pinna around, you can hear how that changes the, the, what the sound sounds like to you. Well, owls are doing the same thing. This facial disc is modifying the sound as it arrives to their ears. And just like your cat can swivel its ears back and forth to adjust what it's paying attention to, owls can move the spatial disc around and influence how it is they're hearing the sound. So they can kind of slick it back sometimes if they want to be a little more conspicuous, or like a little radar dish, they can kind of shift the feathers forward and, and move them around a little bit to, to beam the sound to their ears. If you have a wing, the front edge or the part that, that hits the air first on the wing, that's the leading edge. So as the owl flies along, it's this front part of the, of the wing is the leading part. And what owls have are these really small but distinct uh, bits of feather that stick up and make this comb that sits on the front edge of the wing. Um, they're much smaller than my fingers. Um, the longest comb is about six millimeters tall that sticks up from the surface of the, of the wing. They stick up mostly in the outer half of the wing, so not next to the owl's body. If, it, if you have an owl's wing, there's an arm wing portion of the wing and then the hand wing portion of the wing. The combs sits on the hand wing portion on the, where the fleshy part of the wing stops and the feathers begin. Um, and so this comb is sticking up that basically the part of the wing that moves the most when an owl is flapping its wing, that's the part that has this comb on it. But a fair number of them have asymmetrical ears. And what that means is that right versus left ear actually hear sound differently. So kind of like, you know, if you think of, of, of you know, normal ears like ours are, as being two radar dishes that are pointed in the same direction on either side of our head. Well, in owls, what happens is that one ear is better tuned to sound coming from above the owl and the other ear is better tuned to sound coming from below the owl. So in, in most animals, like in humans, the loudness of the sound hitting the ears tells you whether it's coming from the left or from the right. So in other words, if the sound is loud in your right ear, it's coming from the right. And if it's loud in your left ear, it's coming from the, from the left. But in owls, because they have this asymmetry, they can actually use the loudness to tell whether the sound is coming from above them or below them. So they can use the difference in the timing of arrival of sound to tell left from right. And they use this loudness to tell is the sound from above me or from below me. The two directions that sound comes in are the azimuth and the elevation. So elevation is whether the sound is coming from above or below you. And azimuth is kind of like a compass, whether it's coming from left or right. Humans are, we're pretty good with azimuth, but elevation gives us a hard time. Because owls have this asymmetry, they can use the sound and have a better, do a better job of telling the elevation of sound as it's coming in. What that means is that owls that have this asymmetry, if they are in a completely pitch black environment, they can still find prey. They can still localize where sound is coming from and potentially fly out and catch something in, in complete darkness. Owls have multiple traits that make them good at hunting at night. And those traits are evolving in, in complement to each other. So in other words, when the owl evolves better hearing to better be able to catch mice, it then is also evolving quiet flight to facilitate its better hearing. So 
that basically when, when an organism evolves a trait, they, they don't evolve that trait in isolation. They have the rest of the organism that, that should kind of accommodate or accompany that trait. In the case of owls, there, there are no owl species that eat just one species of prey. All of them are eating a number of prey. So even in the ones that are, that are mammal specialists and rodent specialists, they're still eating you know, a dozen or a couple dozen different species of rodents. Uh, so a great example of that is, is barn owl. Barn owl is a species that has this worldwide distribution. You know, by definition, if it lives over much of the globe, it's eating, you know, it's eating kangaroo rats here in California. And over in Israel, it's eating gerbils and gerboas. Like the, the, there is, when you have a species with that wide of a distribution, eating that many different species of prey, there's little capacity for it to be co-evolving with one species of prey specifically. And so instead, the, the, the top-down hypothesis is really saying the predator is not evolving to eat that one species of prey in particular, it's just evolving to be generally good at what it does. It's evolving to be generally good at hunting at night uh, and hunting anything out there that might make noise that, that it can then locate by, by listening to them. So there, there's two hypotheses as to why owls have quiet flight. And the, the formal names of the two hypotheses are the self-masking hypothesis and the stealth hypothesis. But actually, I find it easier to talk about them with two other names. So the self-masking hypothesis is the owl ear hypothesis. This is the idea that owls have evolved quiet flight, specifically not to block their own hearing. So I think everybody's had the experience of like you're walking along a gravel path or maybe walking through some thick leaves and you're trying to talk to another person, but you're having a hard time of it because your, your own locomotion is making so much sound that you can't hear the other person very well. Well, that's, that's what this hypothesis is about. It says that owls, that when owls are flapping their wings, that the sounds of their flapping is blocking their own ability to hear the mouse that they're approaching. And so the reason why they have quiet flight is to reduce the amount of sound that they make so they can hear better. That's the owl ear hypothesis. The other hypothesis is the mouse ear hypothesis. This is the stealth hypothesis. The, the, the idea that the reason why an owl would fly quietly is so that the mouse doesn't hear the owl coming until it's too late. And this is, so people often talk about owls as having stealthy flight. And what they're doing is they're assuming that it's that the reason why owls fly quietly is, is for the hearing of prey. Now there is evidence that some prey are sensitive to owl wing sounds. So uh, specifically, a lot of rodents can't hear very well below one kilohertz, but there's a really notable exception to that. So desert rodents, such as kangaroo rats or gerbils or gerboas, they've evolved these really large middle ears that can hear low frequency sound. And so there is evidence that, that desert rodents have evolved specifically to use hearing to avoid predators, such as when an owl attacks them. So there is some evidence for the, if, if desert rodents are using hearing to evade predators, and owls have evolved quiet flight in order to approach their prey more quietly, that you could construe that as an example of this co-evolutionary arms race. We found kind of equivalent statistical support for these two hypotheses. But when I look at the data that we have so far, I think that the, the self-masking self hypothesis, the owl ear hypothesis is better supported. And that's because there's a number of little patterns that uh, make more sense if owls are flying quietly for their own hearing, the purpose of their own hearing, rather than for the purposes of sneaking up on prey. Snowy environments are, are famous for being really quiet. So snow is a really good absorber of sound. And so an owl that's hunting prey through a layer of snow, that's an environment where its own hearing is critical, that you know the vole or something else that's underneath the snow, the sound that it produces is being attenuated by the snow rather as it, as it makes its way to the owl. Um, and so this is an environment where the owl has little background sound to deal with, but also the sounds that it's listening for are really faint. And so that's the environment where 
its own wing sounds blocking its own hearing would be the, the most problematic. But if you, if you play the sounds in the other direction, so the sounds going from the owl to the prey, the snow will tend to refract the sound away from the prey and also will, will absorb the owl's wing sound. So basically what happens is the snow itself provides stealth naturally. So if the snow is already providing stealth, they should have less need for quieting features. So basically these two hypotheses make opposite predictions in the context of an owl hunting through snow. That's the environment where, where the owl ear hypothesis predicts they'd have the greatest quieting features and the, the, the stealth hypothesis, the mouse ear hypothesis predicts they'd have reduced quieting features. And in fact, if we look at the actual owls that hunt through snow, many of them are the species that have the most extreme uh, quieting morphology on their wigs. So great gray owl being kind of the, the exemplar or the, the example that I mentioned earlier. So the thing, the thing though, is that these two hypotheses, they're not mutually exclusive. It's not like I'm gonna prove one to completely disprove the other or vice versa. Uh, and it's entirely possible that, you know, in the fin final analysis, when, when all the science is done, that we will have fairly good support for both. For me personally, as a scientist, I found it really useful to formulate these two as, as different hypotheses ask what are the conditions under which they differ uh, because they then provide a, a framework for thinking of experiments that might better reveal what's going on in the, this interaction between owls and the things that they eat. Linnaean Society. The Linnaean, the Linnaean Society. The Linnaean Society of, of London. London. London.